I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, and this is Launchpad, where I talk to successful entrepreneurs about the secrets to launching and growing their startups. I'm very happy to welcome to the show my next guest, Brad Hargraves, the founder and CEO of Common. Brad, welcome to Launchpad. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. First things first, I want to point our listeners to your website. The website is highcommon. Oh, but it, oh, but it gets oh. better. We, ju- we just bought common.com. So now no you way. To, now you can just go to common.com. Wow. Uh, simplified everything. Tell me about acquiring common.com. This is a really <laughs> common challenge that entrepreneurs face, which is you, you name your company, and then you have to get the domain, and that, and then, and then once people know you, your company's that name, you, you risk being held up. So tell us how you did that. Well, I will tell you the actual story of how we did it because it's 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 pretty wild. So we had right. emailed the uh, guy who owned the domain. He was you know a domain bro, uh, you know domainer like so domainer, many of these yeah. domains are owned by people who do this professionally, and he had been fairly unresponsive. Um, and then one day. He emailed us and said, here's the domain. I want to win a contest. Right now I'm running second uh, in a contest to win this uh, top domainer thing. Um, you know, do you want it? If you want it, here's a price. And it was actually well below what we thought it would be worth. Uh, so we, we did the deal. And uh, 48 hours later, we had common.com. Wow. That is a happy ending. I rarely hear stories like that. That's a great one. I guess he didn't know about the rapper. He didn't know about the rapper. (laughs) (laughs) Brad, let's circle back. And and now that we know how to find you, common.com, you're founder and CEO of Common. Give us the elevator pitch. Absolutely. Well, real estate, specifically residential real estate, has been going through a lot of changes lately. On one side, there's demographic changes. So young people in particular are staying in cities longer, they're delaying marriage, um, and they're delaying homeownership. On the other side, you have technology, which has really changed people's expectations about the kind of experience and the kind of interaction you're going to get. Residential real estate is really stuck in the 20th century with paper leases, cashier's checks, brokers. And what we're doing is creating a new kind of management company that focuses on convenience and community. Uh, convenience is really about um, addressing all of the little things that, you know, someone, for instance, living with roommates, uh, which is our typical use case, uh, needs like cleaning, shared supplies, furnishing. Um, and community is about knowing your neighbors. 70% of our residents are new to the city in which they, they move. Um, and plugging into a community is a really important uh, thing for them. So. So far, we've gotten over 12,000 applications for about 150 rooms that we've opened. Um, so we're way oversubscribed. We've been able to generate higher returns for our real estate partners, about two basis, uh, about two basis points, uh, sorry, 200 basis points, uh, in fact, above uh, typical market yields. And for those who aren't finance people, a basis point is one <laughs> one hundredth of a percent. So that's two percent over the uh, above yeah. the expected return. Yeah. Absolutely. So if a uh, typical, you know, residential building in a Brooklyn neighborhood would, you know, yield five and a half, six percent, you know, when operated as a co-living space, um, which I can describe more of what co-living is, um, it can yield significantly more than that. 
Yeah, let's let's get into it. So you are mostly operating in the New York area now, as I understand it. So tell us about a building in, in Brooklyn. Yeah, absolutely. So we have a building that's uh, one of our many buildings that's operating in, uh, in Williamsburg. Um, and it is entirely made for roommates. Uh, that is, the entire building is laid out in a way with really large units where every person has their own private bedroom, um, but they're sharing kitchens uh, and living areas and a ton of common space. So we're able to actually offer that room at a lower price point than a studio apartment, but they're getting in many ways nicer things. So while they're sacrificing some private space, they have access to a much nicer kitchen, much nicer living areas, and far better amenities than they would be able to get otherwise. Um, And if you look at kind of how people in particular are in, in, in urban areas are living their lives, uh, this kind of lifestyle makes sense for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Give us a sense. I know it will vary by building, but give us a sense of what I would pay in Williamsburg currently for a studio and what I would pay for a bedroom in a common space. Sure. So typically in Williamsburg, a studio apartment might be 2500 to $3,000 a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just the studio. So that doesn't include utilities, obviously doesn't include cleaning, uh, Wi-Fi, anything like that. Mm-hmm. At Common, uh, that a room in a common home would generally, in the same neighborhood, would be generally 1800 to 2200 a month. Mm-hmm. And that would include cleaning of all, all the common spaces, uh, Wi-Fi, all utilities. It would be furnished. Um, furnishing is really important because that's one of those annoying things that makes living with roommates more difficult. One of your roommates moves out, they take their couch with them because it was their couch. Suddenly you don't have a couch. So we kind of came up with a list of things that we provide that make the experience of sharing space uh, way nicer and really keep the fun things like having potluck dinners, hanging out with friends, meeting new people, but take away all the annoyances. Mm Mm-hmm. Tell me about the building itself. Typically, how many? Well, let, let's start with there are no, you know, you're not building new buildings, but if you were, what would be the ideal building? How would you find what is your ideal building? Oh, we do build new buildings. Oh, you Absolutely. do building new ones. Oh, I didn't realize these were okay. So, so, so you're building a new building. What, what does the building itself look like? What's the ideal number of units and basically layout, that kind of thing? Well, we look at the, the ideal size of the community being mm-hmm. between 15 to 25 people. Uh, we okay. think you can know 15 to 25 other people pretty well and that that community can sustain over time. Now, that doesn't mean that a building is only, 20, is only 15 to 25 people. Actually, by stacking communities on top of each other, you can create something that's a little bit larger. Mm-hmm. Now, that said, you have to design the common spaces and program the interactions in a way that really preserves that smaller human scale of a community. So one thing we love to do is create kind of smaller, tighter, cozier amenity spaces that are on every floor, for instance. Mm-hmm. So in the Williamsburg building in Brooklyn that I was just talking about, um, it is 56 total members mm-hmm. across five communities of about 12 members each. And each one of those communities has its own common space, has its own gatherings, um, has its own schedule, and even has its own house leader 
which is a, you know, that's a, it's a tenant, they're a resident, um, that's given a small discount for really welcoming new members and uh, helping people get into the community. Wow, very cool. What, tell me, who, who's, your, who's your customer? Tell me who, what the segment is like. So median age is 30. Uh, mm-hmm. median, median income is actually 98000 a year. Um, so it's a little bit older and a little bit wealthier than most people expect. Mm-hmm. Um, now, keep in mind that the two cities we're operating in are New York and San Francisco, mm-hmm. which might skew things a little bit. From an industry perspective, it really runs the gamut. We have people in the tech and creative industries. We have people in finance and government. We have people in law. Um, we have students, but relatively few of them. Um, so it really runs the gamut. I would say uh, one thing that does bring a lot of people together is they are new to the city in which they live. Uh, Common is a uniquely good product for people who are moving to a new city for the first time and want to meet other people, don't want to deal with the hassle of figuring out how to source furniture, how to find supplies, things like that. Um, So about 70% of our members are first-time residents of the cities they're living in with us. What what kind of vetting, if any, do you do to new residents? I can imagine in a community of 12, a a difficult personality could could make everyone's life pretty miserable. Yeah, so we do the typical things that a property manager does, um, but we also do a criminal background check uh, mm-hmm. as well as a 30-minute interview, uh, which is really just designed to um, see how good of a fit they are for the community and make sure that they're uh, that they actually want to participate um, and aren't just looking at it as a, a place to crash. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, take us back to the origin story and 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 you know you you have had a you had an extremely successful startup of which you were a co-founder and I just had I had Jake Schwartz right here in the studio I don't know 3 or 4 weeks oh, ago great. so I yeah so I know Jake um yeah. so tell us a little bit about your background and and how you got into this because I wouldn't have necessarily expected this to be the follow-on uh to to what you were doing before it's, it's, it's funny you say that, and I'll get to that point, but uh, right. I'm, really happy, I'm really happy you had Jake on. He's uh, my uh, incredibly talented uh, co-founder of um, General Assembly, um, along with uh, two other friends, um, which we founded in 2010, um, which was really actually started as this uh, co-working space, uh, kind of tech hub um, with some classes on the side, uh, that we pretty quickly discovered um, should be an education business. Ah, and so you actually it, started out trying to build Common, and you ended up building a university with General <laughs> Assembly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. you know, it, then we took that journey because that's where the business led us, and it was an awesome journey. And we're very proud of, uh, of, of what, we've, what we've built there, and there's kind of an incredible team um, running General Assembly today. Um, but I actually look at Common and General Assembly to be two fairly similar businesses in a lot of respects, in that if you look at what people between 18 and 35 spend money on, it's education and rental housing. Mm-hmm. They're both high lifetime value, big ticket items that are huge sources of not just spend, but also pain. 
That is, neither of them are really expected in many ways to be great experiences. Um, you know, college is kind of its own thing, but I, I think a lot of people uh, and, and the traditional education ecosystem has lost a little bit of its luster, particularly since 2008. Oh, yeah. Um, and rental apartments are far, far worse in terms of the reputation they've gotten, yeah. particularly in dense, expensive cities. So in that respect, really what both General Assembly and Common are trying to do is bring a spirit of technology, of innovation, of good user experience design, um, of community into these older industries. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, w I buy it. And, and looking at your very eclectic entrepreneurial background, I see you have this ability to weave logic into these into these things. So it's uh, <laughs> but it yeah, it makes sense to me. It totally makes totally makes sense to me. <laughs> um, or at least been a good story. You know? It's been a good story. Well, it's an important skill as as an entrepreneur. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about Take us back to the beginning of Common. How did you get started? What did you do to validate the opportunity? Did you say, "Hey, let's just let's just put up a building, or let's just try it"? How did you how did you get it going? Pretty much, uh, you know, I'm a big believer in having a working prototype as quickly mm -hmm. as possible. So obviously, in brick and mortar, that can be really difficult to do, and it can also be really difficult to iterate once you have it because it's a lot easier to change around some code than it is to move a wall from one place to another. Right. So we actually started looking at a lot of other co-living spaces, other spaces where people were sharing space, where they were living in community. So we studied a lot of, kind of ad hoc spaces. We looked at um, a couple other startups that were playing around with this idea. Um, we looked at co-working, obviously, as, uh, as another model. So we tried to fill our heads with as many comparables as possible, including looking at some of the 1970s-era uh, co-housing developments um, you know, that were, uh, were led by the, you know, the hippie and counterculture movements, um, looking at some of the stuff happening in Europe. So we just tried to fill our heads with as much uh, data and information as possible, and then uh, we built a, built a prototype. We took a... Um, we found a partner to purchase a building that had been a failed condo project. Hmm. So it had really large suites um, and actually much nicer finishes than we ever would have imagined, but was in a neighborhood that um, it, it really wasn't the kind of neighborhood you would typically build condos in. It was in Crown Heights, yeah. um, which is a kind of neighborhood in the middle of Brooklyn. Um, so it was just kind of sitting there vacant and we found a partner to buy it, um, and really, you know, launched it and filled it with people who were eager to test this idea out. Um, you know, we, we found the right price. I think pricing was kind of an interesting thing. Um, and I would say we got 80% of it right. Um, and 20% of it, we were really off the mark. And from there forward, it's really just about kind of squeezing down that 20% and trying to not let other things, uh, other problems pop up as you, uh, as you try to scale. 
Brad, I want to ask a little bit about financing. You mentioned that you found somebody to buy the building, and Common itself has equity investors. So I'm wondering if you can tell us how you structure the financing for these projects and how it relates to the entity Common. Absolutely. So I really believe that it's critically important to separate church and state here, that Mm -hmm. there are different types of investors with different types of risk and return profiles who want different things. And in some cases, they overlap, but we really don't want to mix pools of capital. So Mm -hmm. there's some capital that invests in the real estate, and there's other capital that invests in common, the operating company. And then the real estate has a business relationship with common, the operating company, where effectively the real estate pays common a fee to manage it. Mm -hmm. And... I don't, wanna, I don't necessarily need to get deep into the weeds of how that works, but it, goes, it really is about making sure that the right people are financing the real estate, people that are looking for real estate returns. Mm-hmm. So generally things in the, say, you know, 7 to 15% range mm-hmm. um, is a real estate return, uh, whereas venture returns tend to be much higher, but they're also much riskier, particularly right. if you're investing company by company. So the people who were investing in common in the early days, you know, were looking for a 10, 100x return. And we knew that. I knew that. They knew that. Um, but if we had blended it and they had taken a little bit of the real estate or mm-hmm. that common had taken their money and invested in the real estate, we would have lost all hope of, return, of, yeah. of generating that kind of return on their capital. So uh, we decided to have separate uh, pools of capital you know, part to go, one pool to go into the real estate and another to go into comp. All right. So let me just, just one slightly weedy question about the mechanics of that. So the, there's a, there's an LLC or something that owns the building and, and, and then the tenants, do they pay rent to that entity? And then that entity pays common a fee to operate? Exactly. Okay. We're structured very similar to the way a hotel deal is structured. Yeah. Where when I book a night at a hotel, I'm actually paying the business that owns the building, the hotel right. itself, right. and then they're paying Mary. The building is paying Marriott or Four Seasons or the W or whoever is flagging and operating the hotel mm-hmm. uh, a fee for that service. Mm-hmm. Uh, Okay, so so what constrains your ability to grow this business, given that you can find other investors who are going to be attracted to the real estate investment? What, what constrains your ability to grow this business? Well, thus far, it's really been about project finance. Mm-hmm. How do we get a bank, a construction lender, or a permanent lender uh, on board with a new residential concept. Mm -hmm. Um, For instance, you know, most banks aren't financing a lot of projects today uh, that have three, four, five, six bedroom units, um, which from our perspective, do the best financially and for our real estate investors do the best financially. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it's been about finding this happy medium between what gets financed and what creates a great user experience and good real estate returns. Mm-hmm. So one thing we're doing to address this is actually this month we're opening um, our largest building yet 
in the uh, Park Slope neighborhood of Brooklyn, and it's 145 um, units, of which half are co-living and half are studios and one bedrooms. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's all common. So common is managing the entire building. Um, And really the co-living both kind of offers that product and juices the return, but the studios and one bedrooms make it a much more financeable product. Mm -hmm. And to top it off, we have demand from some members who want the community, who want the services, but don't necessarily want to share a kitchen with someone. Um, yeah, yeah, actually, just a just a quick aside. What, where, where are you in the code, and the regulatory environment? How, how are your buildings classified? We are residential buildings. Is we, as a management company, are a facilitator of roommates. So wherever living with a roommate is legal, common is legal. Mm-hmm. And these are all long term tenants. So it's not like an Airbnb thing where right. people are staying night by night. You know, 70 plus percent of our members are on 12 month leases and rest are mostly on six month leases. Got it. All right. Uh, we just have a couple of minutes left, but but tell us how it's going. Well, so far, so good. We're a pretty young company, though. Uh, we really got started about a year and a half ago. Um, so we don't yet have a lot of operating history. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now our buildings are full and uh, the data is coming back really good so far. So the biggest challenge for us is going to be about growing at a venture pace, uh, given that under the surface, it's still about brick and mortar. It's still about real estate. It's still about opening new buildings. Um, So I think that will be years out um, before we really get a good sense of how quickly this type of business can grow. Yeah. And how do you think about geographic expansion? You said you're in New York and in San Francisco uh, what what's next, and what, how do you think about saturation in one market versus expanding to different markets? Sure. Well, I certainly don't think we've uh, tapped out any market yet. You know, sure. 23, 23% of all households in New York City, of all households, are unrelated adults sharing a unit. So wow. that's a crazy statistic. And when we look at the size of this type of market in other cities, you know, we see at least a dozen urban areas in the United States um, that have roommates as a pretty substantial part of their urban population. Um, so we think, you know, anywhere you have a lot of young people congregating, um, you're going to have a need for a community-driven housing product. All right. Well, it's very inspiring. In fact, I'm going to follow up with an email because we're we we might be able to do something in San Francisco with Wharton because we have a ready-made uh, population of people looking for housing. So we'll we'll talk more because I think it's a super exciting uh, concept. Um, Very cool, Brad. Remarkably, our time flew. We're we're out of time, but thanks so much for taking the time. It was a really interesting conversation. Great, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. To keep up with Brad, you can follow him on Twitter at b. Hargraves. And to learn more about Common, you can follow them on Twitter at HighCommon and check out their website, common.com. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, on Sirius XM Channel 111. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. 
You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes.